few years ago, I noticed uh, a, a new company uh, promoting a product in a way that uh, I found incredibly unique and different. The company's name is Casper. They sell mattresses that you survey online, order, and then they ship to you in a box. Have you all seen this? It's like this tall box and somehow they twist the mattress and they get in a box and then they ship it to you. But here's the thing that really stood out to me, not only uh, how much the world has changed and now we're literally buying anything and everything online, but, but, but that the, the, the mattress comes with a 100 day try before you buy guarantee. And I thought, man, three months is like, that's a long time. And I thought, if I play my cards right, I could order one of those, have it for 99 days, send it back, order another one from a different company, have it 99 days. You only have to do that four times throughout the course of the year, never buy a mattress. Am I the only one who thinks this way? Like, I thought, man, that's a good idea. But it, you know, it stood out to me. I'm like, wow, like we're to the point as a, as a society, like literally you can try pretty much anything. That, that's normal now. And it stood out to me because that was not the world I grew up in. Right? Like it used to be like, like you bought stuff and then you're stuck with it. And, and, then, and then the Lord spoke Walmart into existence and Target. And then it was like, oh yeah, you can buy pretty much whatever you want, use it for a year and then return it. And so like, and, they'll, and they'll take it back, right? And then now the world with the online shopping and retailers now, everything's just like that. Now, I mean, literally you can try out anything and everything. And then if you don't like it, then you can return it. No, no questions asked. It's an entirely different world, even mattresses, right? I mean, we've always done that with cars. Can you imagine buying a car that you didn't test drive? We do it with shoes. You know, you want to try it on and make sure the number on the inside matches what you need, right? We, we do it with, with uh, golf clubs, right? You want to swing in the simulator before you make that big purchase. So there's a lot of things like that where you would try before you buy, but literally almost everything now is like that. It's, it, it's pretty incredible. And as we as we launch a section of our current teaching series today that addresses the issue of sex and sexuality, what I assume you know is that many people take the same approach to sex, namely try before you buy. I mean, that's, that's a pretty common societal understanding of sex today that, that you try before you buy. Like, you have sex with whoever you want to have sex with, as long as they're in agreement and you're not hurting anybody around you. Um, there are all types of, of, of sexual uh, activities and expressions today that are unique to this current generation. Sexting, texting, social media, things that are posted on Instagram, Snapchat, things posted and sent that later disappear. We, we, we find that with the rise of pornography and, and technology, that what would have never been accessible 10 or 15, 20 years ago is at the touch of your fingertips now within a moment or an instant. And so the world has changed. And, and what's changed in our society is that there is a broad understanding today that when it comes to the issue of sex, it's something to be practiced or shared based on one's own preferences. Because God hasn't actually said one way or the other whether sex outside the context of marriage is, 
is wrong or bad or if it's good. And so really we just have to kind of apply wisdom and, and, and therefore live how we see is right in our own eyes. In fact, I actually, I, I watched someone this week who's a Christ follower, who is giving a word about this to the younger generation. And this person's well-intended, don't get me wrong, I have a lot of respect for this individual, but this person said the Bible does not explicitly state whether or not sex outside of marriage is right or wrong. And I was surprised by that. That's kind of the prevailing wisdom today. That is the prevailing wisdom. Try before you buy. Exercise wisdom, exercise discernment, but God hasn't really said. I've read a lot of secular studies this week and looked at different secular experts talking about the rise of pornography and the fact that we live in a highly sexualized culture. And and I've seen a lot of secular studies and secular psychologists commenting on this. Some have said, I actually read an article uh, this weekend about this. One expert actually said the problem isn't pornography and and all the sexual uh, deviancy that exists in the world today. The problem is that we're allowing kids to access it too young. And so they promote in our school system, a process of educating kids on pornography so that the connection points to it are age appropriate. That's the solution. I I read another study that said literally the exact opposite, which shows that many in our culture are are, are not in agreement here. One study on uh, on the impact of pornography said this, quote, some of the common damaging effects of pornography for users can include addiction, isolation, increased aggression, distorted beliefs and perceptions about relationships and sexuality, negative feelings about themselves and neglecting other areas of their lives, end quote. Now that makes sense to me. But we live in a world and and we live in a culture that's radically and quickly changing with the rise of both technology and autonomy to the extent to where many even Christ followers have given in to suggest, you know, when we come to the issue of sex and sexual expression, as long as what you're doing is not harming anyone else, as long as you're being as wise as you possibly can be, as long as you're managing and controlling what you're seeing, what you're watching, what you're paying attention to, what you're sending, then, then it's fine up until you get married. And when, then when you get married, then you need to be faithful to your spouse. And, and this concerns me and troubles me, not because the world is pushing these ideologies, but because many people in the church are pushing them. And there's, there's legitimate confusion among my children's generation and the generation coming after them. There's, there's legitimate confusion. What does God say? What, what is the appropriate view on sex and sexuality? How should we approach these issues? And, and there's even confusion, there has been throughout the history of the church, uh, about whether or not God is like down on sex and whether or not we should even talk about these things in church. And there, there are some who've come through different church traditions that see sex as like disgusting and gross and not something you would ever talk about on a Sunday morning. And, and that, that that, that's, in my view, inappropriate as well. So there's just a lot of confusion, but I, I can tell you what's widely agreed upon in our society is, is that people should be free to do what they wanna do, as long as it doesn't harm or hurt anyone else. And, and that prevailing view of sex and sexuality and sexual expression is leading us to a place as a culture that we have never been before. We're gonna talk in the next couple of weeks about sexual identity, about sexual 
expression that is encouraged. We're gonna talk about an entire shift that you, you are watching as well as I am in our society and in our world. And, and so therefore, listen, we need to come back to a foundational view of sex, sexual expression. We need to come back to what God has said and how God has designed us. Because remember, all sin is distortion. All sin is distortion. In other words, the, the devil and the flesh, okay, they're not using their own raw material, so to speak, their own ideas. All the devil can do and all our flesh can do is take what God has given to us and distort it for our own selfish gain. And when it comes to the issue of sex, what happens is we take something I wanna show you today that is good and not disgusting or gross, okay? We've taken something that is good and, and we've distorted it to become something self-serving and something that is ultimately harmful to us because of how we practice it. And so what we're allowing in our society, I believe is a great distortion. And even those who are well-intended, who are trying to say, well, God hasn't actually said, listen, I, I, I want you to see today, no, no, God has actually communicated. No, there is an actual design and a plan and a purpose to sex. And, and, and so I want us to see today a better way, a fulfilling way. And, and I can think really of no subject right now that's more important for our society to contemplate for the church to contemplate and to come to terms with. And so let me give you just one key takeaway. I'm gonna give you a few things you can jot down today. This is foundational. This is what I wanna show you today. That sex is God's design for family and intimacy in the context of covenant marriage. Why do we have the gift of sex, right? Because it's God's design for two things primarily, family, and intimacy, and I wanna show you that it's always assumed in the scriptures that it's expressed and shared in the context of covenant marriage. Listen, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 talked about the fact that sex should be expressed and shared and enjoyed in the context of marriage. He, he, he says, for example, that that if you're single and, and you're able to withstand sexual desire and temptation and God's given you a, a special measure of discipline and control and a single-mindedness on him and his plans and his purposes, Paul affirms that being single is not bad. You're not a second-class citizen. You don't have to have another person to make you complete. That, that, that's not you know, a part of your identity. No, you are complete as, a, as an image bearer. And so Paul says, if you can live as he lived, by the way, he was single when he wrote that. He says, that, that's wonderful. God will use you in a unique and a special way. You should be affirmed in that. But then he goes on to say, but if the sexual temptations in your life, the sexual desires, the sexual passions in your life will cause you to stumble, will cause you to, 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 uh, to, to, to be threatened in terms of your testimony, your reputation, your relationships with other people, then he says you should marry because, some of you will recognize this, he says it's better to marry than to burn. Not literally like burn. He's saying to have those passions burning inside of you with no way to express them. What is he saying? Paul doesn't say, in other words, you know what? If you're single and you have these desires and these passions, which by the way, I'm gonna show you are good. But he says, if you have them, then just express them however you want to before you get married. But then once you get married, then you need to lock in to your spouse only. What does he assume? 
He assumes that if you're single and, and you're not in a place where God's given you some extra measure of control and discipline and single-mindedness on him to where, no, you, you want to be married and you need to be married. He says, get married. He doesn't say, well, just have as much sex as you wanna have with whoever you wanna have it with and then you know, God will understand. No, the assumption is that sex as God's design for family and intimacy is shared exclusively in the context of covenant, a covenant union between one man and one woman for life. Now, let me go back to the very beginning. I wanna show you where Paul gets this vantage point because it has always assumed, listen to me, it's always assumed throughout human history and throughout the word of God, that sexual intimacy is shared in the context of covenant. That's always been the case. And, and what we see is that God has given us the gift of sex, that sex is good when it is expressed in the context of covenant. Let me say that again. Sex is good when it's expressed in the context of covenant. Now see, nobody said amen there in the first service either. I don't understand that. <laughs> That's why I'm preaching on this today. I'm trying to help you all out. All right, here we go. Let me show you, this is God's design. Okay, Genesis 1, 27, check this out. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That'll be important in two weeks, but for now, let's continue. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. He said to mankind, come together, husband and wife, we're gonna see this in chapter two, and, and form a union whereby you fill the earth and multiply. As I've said before, there is no procreation without a little recreation. Everybody with me on that? There's no procreation without a little recreation. It is understood when God said to the man and the woman that you come together and you be fruitful and multiply what would be required to be fruitful and multiply. And this is directly addressed in Genesis 2. Check this out. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Remember, the man is grieved that there's no one like him on the earth. He names the animals. He has dominion over the animals. But he's like, there's no one like me. There's not another image bearer on the earth because man is unique. We talked about that last week. And so God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man said, this is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She would be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains, right? This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Literally in the Hebrew, that's the original language here, they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. If you're from Georgia, you would read that naked. Okay, but whether, whether, whether you say naked or naked, I think you understand. What you have here in Genesis 2 is a beautiful picture of intimacy and family. The man and the woman through this union will have greater intimacy and through this union, they will have a family. So it's for the idea of pleasure and procreation that God has given us the gift of sex. And I highlight for you that all of this took place before sin entered the world. 
This is not like God's concession to uh, man's sexual desires. No, no, no. God gave us those desires. Those are good desires. God made us as men and women to, to desire each other. Those are good desires. All of this happened before the fall, before sin entered the world. And God created man and woman in such a way to where notice there's a special union there where literally they become one flesh. And so let me join that with what Paul said about, you know, get married if, if, if you don't have a call to singleness, okay? In other words, when you get married and you come together in sexual union, you, you become one flesh with your spouse, That sexual union is unique and it is profound. And listen to me, if the Bible did not assume sexual expression only in the context of covenant marriage, then the Bible would not emphasize one flesh. Because listen to me, you can't can't have sex with a person outside of marriage and become one flesh with that person and then just have another one flesh and another one flesh and another one flesh and another one flesh. No, 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 it's one flesh. It's God's design is put what Paul said together with what God has said in the very beginning. What happens is you have a man and a woman who come together expressing their God-given passions for each other through the gift of sex, whereby they experience greater intimacy and they have a family. That's God's design. That is assumed throughout human history. Right? It's only been literally recently that we have people now saying, well, the Bible, doesn't, the Bible actually doesn't specifically state that sex outside of marriage is wrong or bad for you. And I think while some of these people are well-intended, they should probably get a theological education because there's no dispute at all when you look at what the scripture teaches regarding the gift of sex from start to finish. Even Jesus echoed this. Look at Matthew 19. Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record from the beginning that God made mankind, what? Male and female. And he said, this is why. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Literally, guess what? In the Greek this time, they become one flesh. And then Jesus says this, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Again, you can't have one, a one flesh union every single week of the year or month of the year or whatever. Our society is saying it's no big deal for you to be joined together sexually with another person without consequence. No, that, 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 that is not real life. God has made it abundantly clear that the gift of sex is a good gift. It's a gift that he has given. It is for both pleasure and procreation in the context of covenant. And this is affirmed further even by the author of Hebrews. Look at this, Hebrews 13, four says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Literally in the original language, it says, and keep your wedding bed undefiled without pornea, without sexual impurity. Honor marriage and remain faithful to each other, sharing in the gift of sex without impurity. Literally, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You look back to the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. He instructs his son with some some very specific uh, instruction about sex. You're gonna see this is not God being anti-sex or anti-intimacy or whatever. No, 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 no. Solomon's gonna, gonna encourage this. I almost hesitate to share this, but let me, let me just go ahead and do it. It's, it's in the Bible, Proverbs 5, all right? Just keep that in mind when you email me this week, all right? This is in the Bible. 
I want you to see what Proverbs says, what Solomon told his sons. Drink water from your own well. He's not talking about water here. Drink water from your own well and share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you and rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always and may you always be captivated by her love. I cannot believe I just read that in church. Okay, but, (laughs) but. (laughs) I actually could read several other passages of scripture that would be even more pronounced. I chose just one that would keep at least everyone from blushing, okay? I'm telling you, the Bible is not anti-sex. God is not anti-sex. The, the Bible is not silent on this issue, quiet on this issue. You, you, you put all this together, I'm just telling you, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that God's design for sex is a precious and intimate union between one man and one woman for life where there is great pleasure and there is procreation. That's it. That's it. Start to finish, you see it. And whenever we seek to stray from God's design, we open ourselves up to tremendous consequences, which is why, by the way, Solomon comes back and he gives a warning to his sons. Look at this. He says, same chapter now at the end. He says, for the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control and he will be lost because of his great foolishness. And I fear that's where many are in our society when it comes to the issue of sex. Listen to me. Sexual sin brings unique consequences. When you put together all that God is teaching us here about the gift of sex, what you find is that sex involves more than just your body, which is the lie that our culture sells. The lie that pornography pushes, that sex is only a physical act. I'm here to tell you that is a lie. Sex involves your body. Sex involves your spirit. Sex involves your emotions. Sex involves a special, unique relationship. And whenever you engage in any type of sexual immorality, you are involving your whole self. Which is why Solomon said to his sons, man, this is, this is serious. Like if you don't demonstrate self-control, you, you can be totally lost because of this foolishness. It's a big deal. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 gave this word, by the way, to a church, to a culture a lot like ours. A church and a culture who thought basically, I, I can do whatever I wanna do with my body up until the point when I get married. And here's what Paul said about that, right? He says, you say, this is, the, this is them writing to Paul saying, hey, I'm allowed to do anything with my body. But Paul says here, but not everything is good for you. I'm sure Paul's like, I can't believe these words have to come out of my mouth. <laughs> like, I can't believe as an adult, I'm having to tell other adults that you can't just do whatever you wanna do because everything is not good for you. Like, it's, it seems a little simplistic here, but it was, it's needed. Paul says this, 
he, he says, even though you have Christian liberty, even though you say you're free to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. He's talking about food laws and dietary laws of the Old Testament that don't apply to believers who aren't national Israel. He's talking about this issue of Christian liberty with that. But then he goes on to say, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies and God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. In other words, we're gonna have glorified bodies one day. Our bodies matter. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute or in a sexually immoral way, he's talking about more broadly speaking, he becomes one body with her. And so he says, for the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so run from sexual sin. And then look at this. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Listen, those of you in middle school, high school, college, you're a young professional, I absolutely know that what I'm sharing with you today goes against the grain of what you're hearing. I know that to hold true to these biblical perspectives will put you at odds with a lot of people around you. Believe me, I know it's looked at as antiquated and all the rest, but listen to me very, very carefully. If you go with the grain, if you don't swim upstream when it comes to your body and, and how you, you, you protect your body from various sexual uh, expressions that are hurtful to you, listen to you, look at what Paul's saying here. There is no other sin that will affect you like the sin of sexual immorality. Because look at this, here's what he says. For sexual immorality is ultimately a sin against your own body. You will damage yourself in ways that are unique. That's the unique consequence of sexual sin. So he, so he wraps up in this way. He says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a price. And so you need to honor God with your body. He's saying, you're not free to do whatever you want with your body. Of course not. None of us are just free to do whatever we want in whatever way we want without consequence. And when it comes to sexual expression, whenever we engage in it, apart from God's design, he's saying we bring unique consequences on ourselves. And therefore, we need to understand that when God redeems us, he doesn't just redeem our spirit, he redeems our bodies. Our bodies belong to him, ultimately not us. Young ladies, can I give you a word of counsel and encouragement here? The next time that young man in your life says, hey, send me a picture or a snap, or, or, or the next time he says, hey, let's go back to my apartment, let's get in the backseat of my car. You, here's what you need to say. You need to say, no, I, I appreciate that, but um, I'm gonna need to ask Jesus. I, I'm gonna need to ask Jesus for permission, right? Because my body's not my body. It actually belongs to him. You thought you were afraid of my dad. Actually, I have to ask Jesus. I'd love, yeah, well, I'll try it. Yeah, try it, see what happens, right? <laughs> if you do try it, send me an email. I'd love to know what happens. 
I mean, you see what Paul's saying here? Like, none of us can live without consequence, right? Like, I mean, and, and you see through the theme, the theme through all of these scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout human history, it is assumed that the gift of sex is good. All right, amen. Come on, married people. Come on, the gift of sex is good. All right. You're not a weirdo to say amen there. All right, come on. The gift of sex is good. It is assumed it's good. It's given by God and that it's to be expressed and enjoyed in the context of covenant. One body, one flesh union. That's it. So that whenever we stray from that, we, man, we violate God's will for us and our bodies that ultimately belong to him. And we bring consequences upon ourselves that are devastating. And the shame and the guilt, the brokenness that comes from sexual sin is unlike the shame and the guilt and the brokenness that come from any other sin. It's unique. It's deep. And, and so let me, let me just offer a few warnings before we get out of here today. I, just, I want you to see, especially, listen, those of you, middle school, high school, college, young, young professional, you're single today. Listen, you're married today and you're struggling with some type of temptation. Let, let me give you a few warnings that I think are really, really pertinent based on what God's word has said. First of all, we need to understand our society separates contact from commitment for the sake of convenience. That's what's, that's what's being pushed on you. Contact without commitment. Sexual contact with no lifelong commitment for the sake of convenience. That, 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 that's where we are today. And, and I know that some of you think, maybe you walked in today and you think, I get it. You, you think that that sexual contact, that, that try before you buy mentality, that's gonna bring greater clarity. If, if I'm sleeping with him or her, if I'm engaged in sexual activity, then he or she will love me more, affirm me more. I will feel better and I'll have clarity about our future. And I'm here to tell you, you will not have greater clarity. You will have greater confusion. Because when you engage in sexual activity with a member of the opposite sex, it's gonna distort your view of that person and of your relationship. I have seen many people over the years, Christ followers even, who have made some really, really, really bad decisions about who they marry in part because they got sexually entangled with that person in a one flesh union that's meant for marriage, but they were practicing it outside of marriage. And so they ended up falling in love with a person and receiving that affirmation in such a way that they married that person only to find out later that was a horrible decision. Say, how do people get there? Don't you see this? I'm not, I can't be the only one who sees this. How do people get there? Because whenever you engage in sex outside of marriage, it involves your whole person and it makes things more confusing, not more clear. I'm telling you, this happens over and over and over again. And our culture says, yeah, you know, just, yeah, shack up. Send your text and, and, and express yourself and, and see, see who's the right fit for you and who makes you feel good and all that. I, it's not working. It's not working. Even our secular society acknowledges it's not working. We know the divorce rate somewhere around 50% has been for years, you know. These are secular statistics now. These are not mine. But do you realize that when a husband and a wife enter a marriage together with no previous sexual partners, the divorce rate is under 10%. Based on the United States Attorney Legal Services on cohabitation, couples who live together are 250% more likely to get divorced than couples who don't. 
And the majority of couples who live together before marriage, guess what, ladies? They don't end up getting married. And those who do are 250% more likely to divorce than those who don't. It's a farce. Listen, the, the, the idea that, that you can just have sex casually with people without consequence, that you can have contact without commitment and then still somehow have clarity, it's, it's out there. It's been out there my whole life. It's been out there your whole life. It's just a lie. I mean, listen, gr- growing up, you know, I mean, I, I saw the same kind of stuff many of you saw. I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s and, and all of that, even though I'm still in my 20s. But I mean, you know, back then I heard, and I mean, like, man, what you like, I didn't know. I mean, I'm like, I'm learning from the culture just like everybody does, you know? And it's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna meet somebody and they're gonna fall for me and then I'm gonna like kiss them and they're gonna kiss me back and then bam! Like, that's just the way it happens. And like, you know, it's like a movie. And I learned like, hey, ain't no life like a movie. It don't work that way. You know what I'm saying? And, and now you look at the complicating factors of technology and what we can send and access and all that, and it's just profound. And, 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 so, and so what's being pushed on us is if you want that clarity, then, then you engage in sexual activity, but, but, but God's design is the opposite for you. Listen, sex is not something to be viewed lightly or casually. It's something to be viewed only significantly through the context of covenant. And therefore you cannot have contact apart from commitment without negative consequence. You can't. I might as well tell you, hey, go rob a bank today. And as long as you tell the people that you're holding at gunpoint that, you know, it's something that you feel like you need to do and it's good for you and your family, I'm sure they'll understand, no problem. No, you're going to jail. Nobody gets to do whatever they want to do without consequence. I mean, it's crazy. And I appreciate so much what Pastor Bruce shared last week about the sanctity of human life. But li- li- listen to me, let me add to what he said, okay? In, in, in that much of this whole debate about the sanctity of human life is a debate about convenience. I understand there can be some unique and horrible circumstances where pregnancy happens. But the overwhelming majority of people today who champion a woman's right to choose are saying that born out of convenience without consequence. And that's not real life. And in so doing, here's where our nation is today. Here's where the world is today. We now view children as a negative consequence when children are always the positive consequence of sexual activity, always. Children are never a negative consequence of pregnancy or sexuality, never. Now, are the circumstances of a pregnancy difficult, more difficult, negative view at times? Sure. It's no joke to have a child. It, you know, and and, uh, there can be some circumstances of having a child where it's very, very difficult, I get that. But that's a different thing altogether than suggesting that a child is a negative consequence and worth eliminating. And I'm here to tell you this, the majority of people in our society who espouse this type of action, such as taking the life of a human being in utero, do so, listen to me, because of convenience. Because they bought into the lie that you can have sexual contact without lifelong commitment 
without negative consequence. And that's not real world. Let me tell you what is real world. Real world is you have sex in the context of covenant and then you experience positive consequences. And children are one of those positive consequences. And so don't buy into the lie that you can have contact without commitment, without consequence. Secondly, let me just emphasize this. Our society separates formula from fulfillment. Formula from fulfillment. I just wanna emphasize to you this morning that God has given us safe parameters for sex. He's given us various formulas for how to live our lives, not because he's restrictive, but because he is loving. There is a formula for how we express our sexual passions and desires. There's, there, there, there are steps, there's an order to these things. And listen to me carefully, whenever we put God's formula out of order, whenever we mix up the, the, the order that God's established for certain things in life, we just cause harm to ourselves. Let's go financially, okay? Let's go financially. Has God not said, I think we all agree on this, okay? Has God not said that as he blesses us with the means to live, to pay the bills and have food to eat and clothes to wear and all the rest, that as he blesses us, we take from the first fruits of what he's entrusted to us and we give to his work. That's what he has said. There's an order that matters. God should not get our leftovers. God should get our first fruits, our best. That's the pattern, right? God doesn't, he's not, he doesn't deserve our leftovers. There's an order there. Guess what? You want to experience financial blessing and fulfillment? Follow God's order. Follow his formula. You say, I don't know that I make enough where I can give generously. And well, well, mm, mm, mm. you do, you do. My wife and I would love to share with you about how God's provided for us when we thought we didn't have enough to give. If, if you put it out of order, you mess yourself up. Has God not given us an order for how we're to see each other in marriage as husband and a wife? My wife and I have been married well over 20 years now. I think we've had three arguments the whole time we've been married. And uh, okay, that's a total lie. Okay, so we had three this weekend. Okay, but uh, no, not really. Okay, so What's God's formula for conflict resolution, navigating marriage? What is it? Well, first of all, as a husband, am I not to love my wife as Christ loved the church? Are wives not to respect their husbands as the son respects the father? Has God not said to us that every one of us should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God? You know how many times I needed to hear that verse of scripture when we had a disagreement? I'm just saying God's given us formulas. God's given us order. There's an order to things. And listen to me, when it comes to the gift of sex, God has given us an order. What's the order? The order is get married. The order is enter a covenant relationship and then you can have all the sex you want. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you, brother. All right, I got one. All right. <laughs> Bunch of people come to church, they act like they don't enjoy having sex. All right, I see how it is. Okay, okay. You're gonna leave me up here all by myself. I hear you. Mm-hmm. The world's gonna tell you, and the world's telling you, you can have contact without commitment, without consequence. That's a lie. The world's telling you that you can go against God's formula and have fulfillment. That's a lie you won't have it. 
And then finally, our society separates pleasure from purpose. Our society says you can have pleasure apart from God's purpose. That will not happen. Maybe the most controversial thing I'll say today, and I'm glad my children aren't in the service to hear it. <laughs> the best sex you will ever have is sex aligned with God's purpose. In marriage, one man and one woman in covenant for life. That's the best sex you'll ever have. You say, that's not what I see on TV. No, because that's what you're seeing on TV in real life. <laughs> it's not, listen, when I look in the mirror, I see Brad Pitt, I see Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> I see it, I see it. I walk down the street, this is how you know, I walk down the street. Yeah, you know, ladies falling all over themselves to get my digits, you know what I'm saying? I don't know how you interpret that, I'm sorry. I, my, I got another for you though. I don't think there's any universal sign language for, you know. Right? And, and we, we think that, oh yeah, this is how it's gonna happen for me. And, and uh, there's just this generation, like, and again, with all technology, yeah, that's how it's going to happen. I'm just, I, that's not what's going to bring you the greatest pleasure and the greatest fulfillment. I promise you. I promise you. The greatest sex that you will ever have, you will have according to God's design in the context of marriage. There is no Hollywood script writer that's gonna take that quote from this message and make a movie out of it. But it's a truth. It's a truth. And the, and the culture that says you can separate contact from commitment without consequence, the culture that says that you can have fulfillment without God's formula is the same culture that pushes pleasure apart from any purpose. And this culture is seeking to extract the physical from the emotional, the relational, and the spiritual and that will ruin you if you give into it, I promise you. I'm not anti-sex, God's not anti-sex, God's not anti-pleasure, God's not anti-desire. I've already shown you that God's the one who's given all this to us and it's good. But God is very much you living your life in such a way that you fail to experience his design because that's what's best. It's kind of like, I brought a little firewood here with me today. It's kind of like building a fire, okay? Listen, we all have sexual passions and desires and, and when we seek to express them, literally, it's like, it's like building a fire. You know, you, we wanna express these sexual urges and tendencies and, and, um, and our culture's pushing us to do it in a way, as we've already said, that's totally against God's design. And so, and so we want, what we wanna do so often is we wanna, we wanna, we wanna like fan the flame of, of our sexual desires. We wanna have just this, 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 this fulfillment, this feeling, this, this, this dynamic among our relationships, you know, and, and people get it now in so many different ways. So many different ways. And, and here's what I want you to see. That if you think you can build this fire, if you, if you think you can stoke the flames of sexual intimacy, sexual desire, sexual expression. If, if you think you can, you can fan these flames in your life outside of the parameters that God has established, here's what I want you to see. It's going to burn you and it's gonna destroy you. You won't be able to contain the fire. Are you with me? You will not be able to contain the fire. 
If you think that pornography, that's, that freedom and expression, that sexting, that mutual partners and all that, I mean, if you, just, if you just think that the way the world is pushing you is gonna bring the fulfillment you desire, I'm telling you, you're gonna be, you're gonna be fanning flames that are going to destroy you because these flames will overrun your life. They will impact your, your relationships. But God's given us a fire pit, hello? God's given us parameters. He's not against the fire. He's not against you fanning the flames of these desires that he put in you, but he's given you a fire pit called marriage. He's given you a fire pit called covenant, an environment that is safe, an environment that is fulfilling, in an environment where you can fan those flames without fear that they will rage out of control. And some of y'all need to get home today, those of you who are married, and you need to fan these flames. Again, no amen again. I mean, I just went, well, I'm trying to help y'all out. <laughs> this is God's design for you. Pleasure and procreation, intimacy and family. You need to fan the flame. If you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians 7. You need to fan the flame. That's God's design for you. But if you're not married yet, maybe you've been married and you're divorced and you're waiting for what's next for you. Maybe you're single, you never married. You're, you're here, you're one of our students, you're college, young professional. Listen, I know what I'm saying goes against the grain. I know we're swimming upstream, but I'm trying to, reinforce God's very, very best for you. And I just want you to understand today, listen to me. If you think you can fan these flames outside the parameter of God's formula, you will never have fulfillment. That fire will destroy you. So don't give into it. You got an addiction with pornography, you're struggling in your marriage. Man, we're here to help you. There's no shame in that. We get it. We're here to help. My encouragement to you is, is to leave here today with a, with a united perspective on what's truly best for you and your family, your body, your future. And to cling to that no matter how much our culture strays because we know that's what's best.